Thank you, sister. Well, hello again. Uh, it is a joy to be here with you. As I said a moment ago, Delray Baptist Church uh, sends greetings and love in the Lord. So thank you for your hospitality. Um, thanks, Dave and Gloria, for hosting me in in your house. And it's been... Uh, yeah, it's always fun for me to get to see kind of behind the scenes what pastors and their wives are like. And I just want to commend to you, um, your, your pastor Dave. He's a man who loves the Lord. Um, and he, he seeks to live what he preaches to you day in and day out. Uh, to watch him love his wife and his children. To watch Gloria's um, do the same for, for him. Um, you guys have blessed me. So, so thank you. And uh, yeah, thank you all for having me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray once more, and then we are going to jump into Hebrews chapter 11 together. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the, your word that you have into this world that is filled with the darkness of sin and unbelief, that you have spoken your word to us. And not only have you spoken your word, but that you have sent your son, who is the living word. And Father, we pray that this morning as we come together that you would, for your glory and for our good, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that you would set a hedge of protection around us, that the evil one would have no place here, that you would not allow any of the seeds that are sown upon hearts this morning to be snatched up by him, but rather that you would cause a great harvest in our hearts to spring up for you to receive glory and worship and praise, that we would love you more and trust you more, that you would use your word to that end this day. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to believe the things that you have laid before us this day. Father, we need your grace. Overcome our weakness with your strength. Help us in our time now. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I became a Christian uh, probably about 16 years ago now. came out of kind of a, a crazy background of, of all sorts of, of, of reckless sin. Um, and there was a group that I got to know very early on called, um, now called Crew. At the time it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. And one of the very first things that, that I was told about, about God and about Christianity was this particular line. I was told, God loves you and has, anybody know the rest of it? A wonderful plan for your life. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And I want to tell you this morning that that is, that's true. It is true that there is a God and that he has a wonderful plan for your life. But what is that wonderful plan? Because it's, it doesn't, it doesn't look the same for everybody who follows Jesus. For some, it, it, it really does seem like everything just turns around and starts going better when they start following Jesus. They get a promotion at work, lose a few pounds, all their kids start obeying. You're always getting a parking spot every time. You're just like, that's just, that's just what's happening, right? I mean, it's, it seems like there's this, this, this charmed kind of existence. While others, others suffer greatly. They have great difficulty with persecution, sickness, early death, broken hearts. 
And if we're honest, most of us have a, a, a bit of, of both of that. And what I want us to do together in our time this, this morning is to consider this question. How does God reward those who trust Him? How, how does God reward those who say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you as you have commanded me to in your word. And to help us do this, we're going to go to the word of God in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible and you have a magnifying glass, you can turn to page 8 of your bulletin. You can follow along there. (laughs) Thank you to whoever made that happen. Amazing. As you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of background on the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews is a letter written by a pastor to his congregation. It's written to a congregation much like this one that came from a background that was was not following Christ. And that's how everybody begins. This particular congregation had a Jewish background where they believed the law and the prophets and they relied upon the sacrificial system in faith looking forward to the coming Messiah. And they had heard the gospel that Jesus, the Messiah, had come and He died for sinners and He rose from the dead and they repented of their sins and they believed in Jesus. They were, they were born again and they formed a church. And together they were following after Christ. But as they did this, persecution began to come against them. Suffering, hard times. And we we know from Hebrews that it was was a a social persecution. Where they would would lose jobs and family members and friends would forsake them. And there was this pressure all around them to forget Jesus and forsake Jesus and leave Him and go back to wherever they came from. For them in particular to go back to, to Judaism. And what the pastor does in the book of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is he gives them this letter to do two basic things. One is to warn their hearts that there's no plan B. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. And you need to cling to Jesus. And then... The big thing that he does in the book is he warms their affections toward Jesus and shows that Jesus is better. And you can't go back to the shadows of the old covenant because Jesus has fulfilled those shadows. He is the substance. And in this book, he just walks through that. And he shows chapter 1 that Jesus is greater than the prophets because all the prophets talked about him. That Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses looked to his day. That Jesus is a greater priest, greater than Aaron himself because he serves a better priesthood. Chapters 4 through 7. He mediates a better covenant, the new covenant, chapter 8. That he is... He offers a greater sacrifice and a greater tabernacle. He himself is the offering, not the blood of bulls and goats, but he is the one. He is the sacrifice for sinners. And all of that leads us up to to chapter 10, verse 35, where we pick it up here this morning. Therefore, in light of everything you've heard about Jesus being better, being the fulfillment of all of God's promises, therefore, in light of that, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, 
And the coming one will come. Jesus is coming back. And will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And that pushes us up to probably the most well-known chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. What's often been called the Hall of Faith. Where we have all the names of people that, that when you read through the Old Testament, you saw them trust God. They show up here in this chapter and they're put on display as examples of how you trust God. And how you cling to His promises by faith. And as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, we are going to be considering how does God reward those who trust Him. We're going to do this by thinking about two things. First is how God defines faith. How God defines faith. And then secondly, how God rewards faith. How God defines faith. So what is faith? And how God rewards faith. So how, how how does He reward it? Let's look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith here is defined. Faith is the confidence that God will do what He has promised to do for us in Christ. And and, and for Christians, we bank everything on the fact that God will not lie. That God will not fail to bring to pass everything that He has laid before His people. We rest our hearts and our lives upon the hope that God will do everything He promised. That's the heart of what it means to be a Christian. That we, 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 don't, all, we don't see all that God has promised us right now, but we bank our lives upon it. Everybody in this room, if you're, for everybody in this room who is a Christian, that's what's happening. We hear this, we sang songs to a God we don't see. We sang truths about Him. We've, we've read scripture this morning and it's done in faith, believing that those things are true and we risk everything because of what God has promised to us. We have assurance, conviction, confidence that He will keep His promises in which we hope. And the most foundational promise is the promise of the Gospel. It's the good news that the whole book of Hebrews and really the whole Bible is about. The good news that that though there is a God who created us to know Him and love Him and enjoy Him, that we have turned away from that God in rebellion. And everybody's done it in different ways. But we have all said, God, you, as you are, are not going to rule over me. I want to rule my own life. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. I'm going to follow after other gods, or I'm just going to follow after myself and what feels good. And when the Bible Bible calls that sin, it's high treason against the King of glory. And because God is good, He will not just forgive if He feels like doing it. That would make Him an evil God. But rather, the God of the Bible is a God who will judge all evil. From the evils of ISIS, down to a little old grandma who's always just been kind and made cookies for everybody, but who has, who has motivations in her heart that are seeking her own glory rather than the glory of God. God will judge all of that evil. And that will either fall upon 
unbelievers under God's wrath for all of eternity, or in His mercy, God provided a way of escape. And He sent His Son Jesus, who came and lived a perfect life, unlike any life that has ever been lived or ever will be lived. And then He went to the cross and there willingly and joyfully shed His blood, took the judgment and the justice that we deserved, and then went into the grave, literally died on the cross, literally shed His blood, literally went into the grave, laid there for three days, and then three days later, He rose from the dead, literally and physically. And now the good news of the Gospel has gone out, that if you will turn from your sins and trust in Him, all of your transgressions will be forgiven. Christians bank their life on that. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to tell you that's not, just, that's not from America. That's from heaven. That's the good news that God gives to the world. That if you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, God will forgive your transgressions. And He will remember them no more. That is the foundational promise that Christians rest their lives on. And you know what? That's how people before Jesus were saved as well. Look at verse 2. He says, for by it, faith, the people of old received their commendation. The way that people please God is through faith. They've always been approved that way. So people in the Old Testament were saved the same way that people are saved today. By grace, through faith, in the promise of the one who would come. We are saved by grace, through faith, in the promise of the one who did come and who's coming again. People are always saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. He says here that, that that's, that's the picture. That's how people of old received their commendation. And this faith is so important because if you look over at verse 6, look at this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, that He is, and that He rewards those who seek Him. You cannot please God without faith. Many religions around the world tell, tell you that the way that you please God is through works. Now it is true that Christians will respond in faith and live out their faith and do works. That is certainly true. But that's not how you earn. You don't earn salvation. It's a gift of grace. You cannot please God without faith. And there's two things to notice here. We need to believe that He is, He exists, and that He rewards this is both out of verse 6, that He is. To please God, we must believe that God is who He says He is. That He actually exists. And that he, he made everything. Look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is really, in one sense, the most foundational expression of faith. Realizing that God is the Creator. They say there's a hundred billion galaxies right now. God made them all. It says He named every star. He made our galaxy, our solar system, the stars, the sun, the moon, the earth, the oceans, the mountains, the rivers, the deserts, the people, the animals, the plants, the bugs, the DNA. From the greatest things to the smallest of things, we believe God made it all. And He owns it all. He is the Creator. He's the holy, loving, just, jealous, good, merciful God. We believe that He is. But we also believe 
that He rewards those who seek Him. We must believe in God, but we also must believe God. And trust that He will do what He says He will do. Now some people ask, well, is it, is it wrong to pursue God to get rewards? Well, it depends. So if, you, if, you're, if your concept of God is that He's kind of a, a divine travel agent, who's basically here to kind of just set up your life so that everything's going to be good for you, or He's kind of a, a, a genie or a, a good luck charm. And, and many of us wouldn't say that we think of God that way, but in, in practice, some of us do where we're thinking that if we'll just follow God, we'll get that, that car we've always wanted, or that promotion we've always wanted, or those dollars that we've been chasing, or maybe moved to Dubai to find, or those plans we've always wanted. And that the reason we follow God is because really we want to use God to get those things. That kind of seeking God for reward is not, is not faith. That's actually idolatry of the things. And using God as some way to try and get them. That's not what he's talking about here. Rather, God lays before us the, a promise of rewards to move our heart to love Him and obey Him and to trust Him no matter what. Believing that, that no matter what the cost, He, if we get Him, it's worth everything. So just before I, just before I left to come over here in, in, in Oregon, one of the states in, in the United States, there was a shooting at a university. A gunman went into this particular university and he lined people up and one witness said this, the gunman started asking people one by one what their religion was. He would ask, are you a Christian? And if you're a Christian, stand up. And they'd stand up and he'd say, good, because you're a Christian, you're about to see God in just about one second. And then he would shoot them and kill them. Nine in a row. Why did they not just deny him? Why didn't they just deny Jesus in that moment? It's because they believe that he is. And he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Or closer to home in Aleppo, Syria. A few days ago, ISIS militants went into that town and pulled out 11 missionaries who stayed behind because they believed that there were still people there who needed to hear the gospel. And they were drug out in front of a crowd and they were tortured and raped and crucified all because they would not convert back to Islam. One father's son was brought before him and they began to torture his son. And he said, if you'll convert back to Islam, I'll stop. But what was before all of them was the promise that God is who he says he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him and trust him that he is worth it no matter what. If you're a Christian, we live with that same reality every single day. When we are pressured to deny our confession of Christ because it's not going to help us in our business, or it's not going to help us to, to get the kind of friendships that we, we really want, maybe, 
It's that, it's that reward that's before you that says Jesus is better that helps you to remain faithful to your spouse. And say everything in me pulls away or pulls toward that other person over there, but no, Jesus is better and I'm going to trust Him. Keeps you honest in business, believing that Jesus is better than a pile of gold. Christians live by faith in God's promises. Matthew 16, I'm sorry, Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That kind of promise guards us in the midst of times of temptation where we say, whatever pleasure may be offered me right now that's going to cause me to compromise my devotion to Jesus, no, because He's got better treasures. Mark 9, 41, Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose His reward. A small little promise that moves us to be a generous considerate, hospitable people who seek to serve others even in the smallest ways because we know that God sees it and He's pleased. Matthew 5.8 Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That when you are tempted with, with lust or with greed and your heart is, is tempted to go after that you say no because Purity is a means to seeing God, and God is better. He's better than whatever pleasures laid before you. Promises orient our lives if we're Christians, because we believe that God is, and He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. And all promises are leading up to a final promise in Revelation 21.4 where when we are with Him fully and finally after He returns, it says He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then 22.4 They will see His face. That is what is to grab the heart of the Christian. That one day we are going to see Him. We're going to see the Father face to face. Faith is the assurance that God will give His people what He has promised. And He calls us to orient our entire lives, every word, every action, every motive around those promises. He says, trust me. So I would ask you, brothers and sisters, for those of you who, who know Christ and are following Him, are God's promises the north star of your life? Do you meditate on them and memorize them and encourage each other with them, reminding each other of the truth that He lays before you, that He is better than anything else? And if you're not a Christian, I'd ask you, what are you hoping for? What, what are you orienting your life and eternity around. Jesus is better. Okay, so if this is true, that's what God wants from us, well then how does He, how does he reward then? How does God reward people who, who say, Yes, Lord, I submit to You. I follow You by faith now with all the grace that You supply. How does God reward those who take up their cross and follow Him? Well, that's what the rest of the chapter is about here. 18 times through this chapter, he's going to say, by faith, 
such and such, so and so did such and such. By faith, this person trusted God in this way. It's going to be evident. There's evidence in their life that they are trusting Him. And what he does is he chronicles these examples of how men and women have trusted God even to death. And in verses 4 and 5, he gives us two examples that basically characterize the way that God rewards people. Look at verse 4 with me. 11.4 By faith, Abel, so this is Abel, Genesis, early on, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, because his brother murdered him, he still speaks. Verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. These are two examples that come from the early part of Genesis. Genesis 4, we see Abel, whose brother Cain hated Abel because God accepted Abel's sacrifice because Abel offered it up in faith. So Cain murdered his brother Abel. Which means that Abel's faith was rewarded with murder. He lost his life for his faith. But then there's Enoch. The next chapter, Genesis chapter 5. Enoch walked with God. He pleased him so much that God just plucked him right up. Took him right off the planet. He didn't even die. God just said, that guy. Boom. Pulled him up. Enoch was delivered for his faith. One was martyred for their faith. One didn't even see death. And I think these two men serve as examples of how God rewards faith in this life. Some receive deliverance in magnificent ways. And some receive death. And in verses 7 down through 31, he gives examples of people who are kind of like Enoch. They're the the people who we remember when we think about Bible heroes. They're the people that you name your kids after sometimes. Except like Methuselah or something like that. But but for the most part, like these are the names that... No offense if your kid's name is Methuselah. (laughs) Always do that. Not helpful. Don't do that. Sorry. It's a beautiful name. Um, But (laughs) what he does here is he chronicles all of the names of these these heroes of the faith. Look look down at verse 7. By faith, Abraham... Obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. God called Abraham, leave Ur of the Chaldees. Leave everything behind and follow me. And Abraham said, I'm in. I will follow you. And I don't even know where we're going. That's what he did. By faith, he did that. Verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, his sons, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 11, here's another one. By faith, Sarah, his wife, herself, received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, she was 90, since she considered him, the Lord, faithful who had promised. You've got Abraham. You've got Sarah. 
Then look down at verse uh, 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Isaac, he made declarations about his family and oriented his family around the promises of God. Verse 22, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. He did the same thing. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. If you don't know this story, when Joseph was dying, he says, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to bury me in Egypt. And the reason is because God promised us the land of Canaan. So whenever God delivers us out of this place, and He takes the the people of Israel back to Canaan, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get my bones, and I want you to take them back and bury them in that land. And you know what? When you read through the book of Exodus, after God delivers His people, you've got the whole crowd, they're rolling out, they've gone through the Red Sea, and you know what? Somebody's got the U-Haul with Joseph's bones in them. They've got the box of bones taking them. Joseph died in faith. Don't bury me here because this is not my home. That's, it was, it was, he was dying that way. And he, did, he didn't see it yet. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. The king says, kill the children. He says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to trust God. Verse 23. Four, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses was brought into the house of Pharaoh as his own Son, which means that Moses had access to all of the treasures of the world. Pharaoh was the most powerful, wealthy man on the planet. Moses could have had all of that, but he said, no way. I'm going to go be with God's people because those treasures, they pass away. And now, you know what? They do. They're all just stored in a bunch of museums. But Moses, he's got his reward now. He had his heart and his life oriented around something greater. Verse, uh, skip down to 29. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. You remember that when they were going into Jericho and Rahab hides the spies in faith, because she had heard about the God of the Jews. She, she made decisions based on the fact that I'm going to trust that His pleasure is better than anything else. And then He says, I don't have time for any more. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon. And the way that he had, God took him from 22,000 soldiers down to 300 to fight a battle. And Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and, and, and David, David, you remember slaying Goliath, right? And, and Samuel, the righteous one. And the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice and obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. You remember Daniel in the, in the lion's den? Who quenched the power of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who escaped the edge of the sword? Who were made strong out of weakness? Became mighty in war? Put foreign armies to flight? Women received back their, their dead by resurrection. you got the widow of Zarephath, and you also have the Shunammite woman that this happened with. 
He goes through here and he chronicles all of these, what we would call heroes of the faith. These are the people that we remember, the way they were strong, and the way they trusted God, and the way that we saw God work in their lives. God did amazing things through them. But they're not the only ones who have trusted God. Verse 35, and others, nameless people, were tortured, refusing to accept their release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Verse 37, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Sound familiar? They went about in skins of sheep and goats in the Roman Colosseum. They used to bring out prisoners and Christians. They would strip them naked and they would wrap them in freshly slain goat skins so they smelled of blood. And then they would release Wolves and dogs and lions that had been starved. They would be consumed as sport because of their love for Jesus. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. There were others. Not all who love and follow God are famous. These are the no-name people of faith. Forgotten and forsaken by the world, but not by God. He says here, the world is not worthy of them. So in mercy, He, he took them to a better world. Brothers and sisters, Most people who have followed Jesus have been the others. The nameless faithful. And very many of them have given their lives or chunks of their lives, as it were, for the one who gave his life for them. And many are doing this even as we right now meet in peace. Right now, Surrounding this city, there are Christians whose blood is being shed all around. Right now, as we meet in this this moment of peace, however long God will give it. They're the ones who won't have buildings named after them at seminaries. John Piper likely won't preach a sermon about their faith. The world will not know them. But God knows them, and He loves them, and He has a wonderful plan for their life and their death. And part of that plan was for you and for me. Look at verse 39. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. 
You see, they, they lived and they died by faith, but they didn't receive all that God had promised. They saw shadows. Sometimes they got a little, little tastes of it. But none of them saw the ultimate hope, which was Christ Himself. He is the substance and the fulfillment of all the things that God laid before His people. And even now, though they are with Him in glory, there's a very real sense in which they even yet do not have the fullness of the promise. Why? Because there's more yet to come. When Jesus returns, He is going to take the rest of His people with Him, And there will be a final judgment afterwards where all evil and those who will not follow Jesus by faith will be judged fully and finally. And then there will be what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where the Lord Jesus will take His bride, all of His people from from history past and history present, and those who are yet to come, He will take them all as His bride and He will dine with Him forevermore. We will celebrate Him and know Him in fullness. That is the hope of God's people. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in light of that, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those are all the people in chapter 11. It's like they're in heaven, as it were, cheering. It's it's like a race. There's a race that is set before us. Where we are running by faith toward Christ, not having seen the fulfillment of the promise. And they, with their, their testimony all around us now, we hear of their faith. It's like they're cheering us on by their example. He's worth it. He's worth it. Keep trusting, no matter what the cost. Keep going. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who starts it by calling you, and He's the one who finishes it by keeping you. Who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, look at Jesus who is our hope, but He's also our ultimate example. And the way that He endured great suffering all the way to the end. Do you see what it said there about Jesus? For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus had a joy that was set before Him, which was that He would be with the Father, with the Bride. And because of that, He was willing to go to the cross and be stripped naked and to be beaten and to be mocked and to be scorned and to shed His blood so the Father would be glorified and so that you and I would be able to share in glory with Him forevermore. That was what was laid before Him. And He modeled for us what it means to trust God all the way to the end. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God now. He is now our intercessor. So, verse 3, consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You will grow weary. You will grow faint-hearted. What He calls you to do in the midst of trusting in this journey home is to look to Jesus 
and to remember the truth about how God rewards those who trust Him. And what I want us to do in our final moments together is I want us to consider four brief lessons from what we've seen here. The first one is this. Number one, faith isn't always rewarded the same on this side of heaven. Faith isn't always rewarded the same on this side of heaven. God's children have very different experiences in this life. Enoch didn't die. Abel was murdered for his faith. So some shut lions' mouths and others are eaten by lions. Some are delivered from the fiery furnace and others are consumed by the flames. Some have prayers for healing answered and others do not. Some of us will love Jesus and be comfortable and wealthy and healthy and others of us will love Jesus and obey Him and follow Him and we will lose jobs and we will have our homes stolen. Before I came here, I was in a country where I met with with a Syrian Christian who had to flee because ISIS came to his town. And as he talked to me about being separated from his family right now, trying to, to get back in touch with them, he, with, 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 you could just see it was on him. He said, he said and there's, there's a good chance that, that militants are in my house right now. He just took his house. God doesn't reward faith the same in this life for everyone. Some of us will lose friends and family in our very lives. So this is where I want you to hear this very clearly, please. The prosperity gospel is a lie. Many of you have heard that God's goal for you is to have great health and great wealth and great success and you've got a promotion just around the corner if you have just enough faith and that God's going to return to you tenfold if you just sow a seed in faith and if you just have enough faith, God's going to make you famous or whatever it is you want. Make you rich. Just last night, Creflo Dollar, a false prophet, tweeted this. Jesus bled and died for us so that we can lay claim to the promise of financial prosperity. That is from hell. Jesus did not shed His blood to fill your bank accounts. He bled to free us from loving this world. The Apostle Paul says that if anyone desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he will be persecuted. The the prosperity gospel just gets blown up by Hebrews 11. Explain that to Abel. Explain it to the people who got eaten by lions. Did they not have enough faith? What about the Apostle Paul? Dude got whooped everywhere he went. His life was one constant beatdown. From one town to another, they're just beating him for his faith in Christ. What about Christ? What about Jesus, the Son of God? Did he not have enough faith? He was mocked and persecuted and tortured to death. Brothers and sisters, faith isn't rewarded the same on this side of heaven for everybody. Let that guard your heart in the midst of confusing times when things get hard. It doesn't mean God is upset with you. Necessarily. I mean, He disciplines those that He loves, but trust Him. The second thing is this. The perspective is the fuel to persevering faith. 
perspective is the fuel to persevering faith. What guided and guarded the Hebrews chapter 11 saints in prosperity and in persecution was their hope. And not just hope that things are going to get better or a better day is coming or some kind of motivational speech. No. That's, that's not it. But, but hope in God's promises. Look again at, at thir- or chapter 11, verse 13, the one that was read a moment ago. All these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They saw them with eyes of faith. They said, I know it's over there. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This is not my home. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Do you see that language? They make it clear. Their lives, it's evident that they're not living for this world. People's opinions do not enslave them. The chasing of the gold and the dollar and whatever it may be, that's not what moves them. What moved them was Him. We get Him. And we get that city that will never be taken away. Brothers and sisters, in this city, you have to guard your heart. Because there is another gospel that's coming at you all the time that's calling you to love the world. Everything around here, you can feel it. Look here. Find fulfillment here. And if you're not careful, what will happen is it, it will lure your heart in such a way that you will rarely think about Jesus' return. You will rarely think about the fact that, that at any moment, like before this sermon's over, Jesus could come right now. That would be good, would it not? Like I said the other night, it would be a lot better ending to this sermon. <laughs> and he'd just, come on. Like, that can happen right now. Is is your life clear that that is what motivates you in everything? Is it clear when people are around you, that person lives here, but they're not from here? Strangers and aliens we are. I want to suggest that it's very possible that if you have not thought about the return of Christ today, yesterday, the past week, that the reason very well could be that you just love the world too much. And that you've set your hope on the promises of what the world offers and not so much on what Christ promises when He returns. Plead with God to give you a heart to know that your life is n- your best life is not now. If your best life is now, that is a sad deal. If a fancy car or a fancy camel or whatever you want, like if that's what you're chasing after, like, no. If that's your best life now, you finally get that, you know, that penthouse pad that's like on the 28th floor that oversees everything and you're like, now I got it. Then what? You're going to die. And that's going to go to somebody else who's going to move in there and say, look what I've got. And then what? They're going to die. And then what? It's just really stupid when you think about it. There's got to be something better. Jesus is better. Do you live with a hope that is set upon a better country? It will free you 
from loving this world and all the anxiety that comes with trying to get what Solomon called grasping after the wind. Because you never get enough if what you want is down here. That's what helps you to resist sin, to trust Him in dark days, and to empower you to remain a Christian when they put a gun to your head or a knife to your throat. Third, a persevering faith isn't the same as perfect faith. A persevering faith is not the same as perfect faith. I don't know about you, but when you read through the Bible and you see the names of all these people, like, they did well, but they weren't that great. They're basically like us. I mean, Noah was a drunk. Abraham lied, and then he always had plan B for God. He's like, I know what you're saying, God, but what about this guy, or what about this, or what about that? Sarah, Sarah straight up laughed at God. God gave her a promise. She's like, nah, uh She laughed at him. Isaac lied, and he had his plan Bs all the time. Jacob was a deceiver. You couldn't, you couldn't grab that guy who was so slippery. I mean, he was, a, he was a lying, deceiving dog. Moses was an angry man who was a murderer. Samson was a rebel. David, the man after God's own heart, was an adulterer who murdered a man's a woman's husband so he could get her as his own wife. You see, God does not only reward perfect people. And that's good news because there's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. You see, your walk with Christ, and I want to hear this in the right context, your walk with Christ is much less about perfection and much more about direction. It's much less about perfection and much more about direction. We are all going to struggle with doubt and with sin and with faithlessness. But there's good news that guards us. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. You see, David was a man after God's own heart, because after he did those things, and a prophet came to him and said, You've sinned. He said, I have sinned. Then he wrote Psalm 51. God, be gracious to me. Do not deal... He just lays his heart out there. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. I don't want to love the things I love. I want you. That's, his, that's what... It's, it's about his direction. Does that mark you in your struggles? You see, the good news of the gospel is that the gospel is for people who don't know Jesus. But it's not just for people who don't know Jesus. The gospel is for Christians as well. We never graduate from the gospel. We daily need the promise that God supplies grace and mercy and help for us in a time of need. Why? Because when you become a Christian, you are still a broken, desperate, needy person who needs forgiveness and life from the Savior. And that never stops in this life. Persevering faith is a fruit of daily clinging to Jesus through faith according to the promises of the gospel. So set your heart on Him. And fourthly and finally, Jesus is the reward of our faith, both now and in the future. He told us here, look to Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who starts it. He's the one who finishes it. And He showed us what it looked like to live with with eyes set on glory. He said, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That's what Jesus 
was thinking about when he went through the cross, despised the shame, so that we could be with him. Jesus is our reward now. He says, I will always be with you to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. There is a peace that people who walk by faith know now that the world does not know. There is a joy that we know now even when they take everything from us. Because you know what? All that's not what we were chasing anyway. And He is our reward then. One day we will walk by faith no more. Faith will be sight. Hope will be realized. And conviction will be confirmed. And brothers and sisters, I hope that everybody in this room is there and we'll be able to look at each other and say, He was faithful. It was true. He kept all of His promises. And then you know what we'll do? We'll sing hallelujah to the Lamb forevermore. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and all of the promises that you lay before us. And we pray that you would help us now to walk by faith and not by sight. That you would give us grace to trust in Jesus. For those who do not know you in this room, Father, we pray that you would awaken their hearts to not love fleeting things, but to love Jesus. And Father, we pray for those of us who do know you through your Son, that you would help us to trust you, even when everything around us calls us not to. We pray for our suffering brothers and sisters even now, and pray that you would give them strength to endure. Father, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. In the name of Christ, amen.